So uh, this illustrates the largest uh, teaching passage, certainly by Jesus, in the uh, scripture on the last things. This is the last word on the last things by the Lord. Now, you could argue the book of Revelation is a larger teaching passage on last things. But, uh, and of course, Jesus it does appear there as well. But, uh, so I'm trying to illustrate that we try to look at the primary um, passages when we try to look at a doctrine. And cer certainly we appreciate the New Hampshire Confession of Faith's faith statement that we read today on the world to come. And of course we appreciate our doctrinal statement. Uh, but certainly we know the scripture is the last word on last things. And certainly if we think about what Jesus said in the last word on the last things about last things would be very significant and important. So a proper hermeneutical approach is to look at the context here. Um, Jesus responds to the disciples two questions in chapter 24 verse uh, 2 and 3. He says, do you not see all these things? He's, he came out from the temple and pointed to the temple buildings around him and said, do you not see all these things? Two I say, not one stone will be left unto another which will not be torn down. And so as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, so that's why it's called the Olivet Discourse, disciples came and asked him two questions. Tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? That word end is not the word eschaton, which is the word we get eschatos for eschatology, but it is a synonym. And verse um, 13 and verse um, 14, I guess it is, um, it, another word is used there, telos. So we have three different Greek words used, but the word eschatology is, uh, is actually for extra eschatology. The last things is used in um, Peter, 2 Peter 3, 3, about the last days. So he is talking about last days, the completion of the age, or, or the end of the, of the age. And um, he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, and that's the very place he would leave. You remember in Acts 1, later on, when he left, he left from the Mount of Olives. If you know the prophecy of Zechariah 14 in the Old Testament, where it says his, when he returns, prophecy is his feet will be placed on the Mount of Olives. So he's sitting, at the, he's sitting and teaching at the place where he'll leave and will return. And so certainly this is a pivotal um, text about last things. He was talking about times and seasons, and that's mentioned in Acts 1, 6-7, when the angel was talking about, you know, explaining that, uh, and Jesus was talking about uh, last, uh, about uh, times and seasons as well. So, as he was talking about this, he was situating himself chronologically between Daniel the prophet, Old Testament prophet, the Old Testament, because you remember in 24, 15, he said when you See the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel prophet, and we cut it off there. But let the reader understand understand they were very familiar with that Old Testament text. Well, he stands between that and John the Revelator, because uh, when when Daniel was speaking about this abomination that caused desolation, it was only a very beginning that happened already in Jesus' time. And that was during the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. We'll talk about that in just in a moment. But he's standing between that. He says there's still yet future time where there's that abomination that makes desolation. Partially in AD 70 when Titus the Roman general came in. But ultimately we think it's in the book of Revelation 13 verse 8 where it talks about the beast who uh, 
uh, is, is worshipped and we think about 2 Thessalonians as well about the one who sets himself up in the temple to be worshipped but anyway uh, due to time constraints we cannot go into detail but I want to point out a few things from this passage and talk about some things to be alert for in studying biblical prophecy first thing we need to consider is to beware of the setting of dates in biblical prophecy whether in the past or in the present or in the future for that matter I mean isn't that an amazing thing in verse 36 because it says you know that the, uh, even the son of man did not know when he's returning only the father in heaven so that should be a very a word of caution here about setting dates now there's a teaching on uh, biblical prophecy it's called the preterist view preterist view that means that Jesus has already come AD 70 fulfilled that this was fulfilled Jesus has already come some think that he um, claim even that Jesus returned at that time it was fulfilled in AD 70 some say that he returned at that time but doesn't that violate what he said in, in verses 26 to 27 what did he say there in Matthew 24 26 says if they say to you behold he's in the wilderness do not go out if he's in the inner room do not believe him For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west so will the coming of son of man be so it'll be worldwide it will be aware you know everyone will be able to, to see that it'll be bodily it'll be um, because the lightning can be localized but this is talking about something more cosmic and worldwide so um, we need to be cautious about setting of dates now those who set dates uh, share a dubious distinction with Jehovah's Witnesses, do they not? 1914, they think that he came, and uh, they still believe that he came, but came spiritually or in a hidden way or whatever. So, uh, anyone will forget 1988? Some of you weren't born, but 1988, a guy wrote, I guess he wrote it in 86 or 87, said 88 reasons why Christ has come back in 1988. I think the next year he wrote 89 reasons why he's coming back this year. <laughs> Anyway, that's the absurdity of those things that happen. Um, but the preterist view is, is something we have to deal with. Another, another thing to consider in, uh, in, in the study of biblical prophecy uh, is the nature of the prophetic telescoping. You, probably, you may have, if I use this illustration, you know what I'm talking about here. When we talk about when the prophets looked into the future, it's like looking for their prophetic telescope in the right future, in the, in the distant future. So like when you're driving towards West Texas and toward the Rocky Mountains, you see the Rocky Mountains there in the distance as you come closer, right? But as you drive and drive all day and whatever, you get, to, you say, I finally made it to the Rocky Mountains. But then you go over the next little plateau and you think, nope, the Rocky Mountains are still ahead. We don't see the plateaus, we don't see the valleys in between. And so we need to be aware that just because something is mentioned in the same verse or the same context does not always mean it's on the same day. There's two significant examples in the Bible uh, before we talk about a third. And then the classic example is Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2 where Jesus was sitting, uh, well, when Jesus in Luke 4 was uh, in Nazareth in the synagogue, he, he read from Luke I mean, sorry, he was, uh, Luke records it. He read from Isaiah 61. Okay, and in Luke chapter 4, he opened up the text and read from the Hebrew Scripture there, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me uh, to, because He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, recover your sight to the blind, set free those who are 
to oppress, to reclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And so he said, took the book, closed it down, said, this is fulfilled now in your hearing. Now, you may know where we're going next. If you look at Isaiah 61, you'll notice he stopped before the next clause. The next clause says, and the day of vengeance of our Lord, our God. So in his first coming, he would fulfill that about the Spirit of the Lord being upon him and about release from captives in a spiritual way, but not until his second coming would he begin to fulfill the day of vengeance of our Lord. So that's in the same context. All right, another example is uh, uh, Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. Zechariah 9, 9 talks about where, uh, and this is quoted in Matthew 21 on, the, on, the, uh, on Palm Sunday. Matthew 9, 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. I mean, I mean Zechariah 9, 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's just, endowed with salvation, humble, mounted on a donkey, even on a coat, the foal of a donkey. Well, in, on Palm Sunday, we find that Jesus uh, quoted this text and as, as he was coming in on a, on a donkey. Matthew quotes the text and says this is fulfilled because Jesus came in on a donkey, the foal of a donkey, come, coming in humbly. Now they expected him to deliver them from the Romans, right? So they expected him to come in on a white horse. But remember, that's later. That's Revelation chapter 19 and 20. Okay, so verse 10 of Zechariah 9 talks about him coming in with a bow of war, cutting off a bow of war, bringing peace, and spreading dominion from sea to sea and to the ends of the earth. So not a, he would not come as a conqueror to bring peace into dominion until the second coming. So that's two examples of that in the same verse or the same exact passage where there's a gap of time. And so uh, consequently what Matthew 25, 31 to 33 seems to indicate where you separate the sheep and the goats. Now, this talks about nations. It may not be the same as individuals, but nonetheless, it's talking about seemingly in the same context, uh, the separation of, it, of the, the sheep and the goats. Even, even in John 5, 24 to 29, remember Jesus teaching there about uh, he who hears my word believes upon him who sent me has eternal life everlasting life he shall not come into condemnation which already passed from death into life and so he talks about that uh, hour that's coming that the dead will hear the voice of the son of God will, will live well then he goes down to verse 29 to say well verse 28 29 do, do not marvel for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice verse 29 will come forth those who did good to a resurrection of life those who committed the evil to a resurrection of judgment. So he mentions two uh, resurrections in the same context. So it seems like on the surface that that happens on the same day. And it's certainly possible. But the same author, John, writes in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 20 um, and 21, he there in the first part of Revelation 20 talks about the first resurrection of the of believers. And it says that in verse 6 that the second death has no power over those that belong to the first resurrection. And it talks about a thousand years later, at the very end of Revelation 20, talks about the great white throne judgment, and that's the second resurrection that comes for, for the wicked, for the wicked dead. So uh, that clarifies that there's a separation of 1,000 years. And he mentions five times in the first six verses of Revelation 20 that there's a thousand years. So you might say it's symbolic of a long, indeterminable period of time. 
But if you say that, even you're acknowledging it's not on the same literal day. If you think about prophetic times of the Old Testament, the day of the Lord is a common term used, especially in the prophets. And uh, the day of the Lord is any time the Lord comes to, to visit the earth in judgment or in salvation. Occasionally it can be a particular day, but often it is a longer period of time. So that's what we need to watch out for in um, the study of prophecy. You see, even Jesus as a biblical prophet on earth didn't know the precise fulfillment of his coming back. So there's a, tell us, there is a grouping together of times there. Now other significant primary passages concerning the resurrection of the dead are 1 Corinthians 15 and then the one I already mentioned, Revelation chapter 20. All right, 1 Corinthians 15 is a, is a classic case that we sometimes study around Easter. Uh, so if you, if you pair together 1 Corinthians 15, you have the resurrection of believers, particularly the believers who are alive when the Lord returns. And uh, secondly, in Revelation 20, you have the two resurrections of, of believers, uh, the first resurrection, and then in the second resurrection, the unbelievers. Whereas the power of death has no authority over those in the first resurrection. It talks about the death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire concerning uh, there in that in that final resurrection, the great white throne, throne judgment. So, if you if you think about those two together, uh, these outline the two separate resurrections with a dramatic contrast. Remember that Psalm one. One thing that we didn't have time to really elaborate on was the the dramatic contrast between the righteous and the wicked. We mentioned it, but just briefly, there's a contrast in their character and then their destiny, and we see that certainly with. In John's John's writings here, First Corinthians 15, uh, verses uh, 54 to 57, at the very end of that long chapter, he speaks of uh, about the perishable will put on an imperishable, and the mortal will put on immortality. And at that time, when Christ is returned, it says, "Death is swallowed up in victory." O death, where is your victory? O death, O death, where is your sting? All right, he's quoting from Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah 20, 28. Uh, or excuse me, Isaiah 25 verses 7 and 8. And I wish I had more time to talk about that but it's, it's really interesting over there in that context it's speaking of a banquet, a messianic banquet when, when uh, the Lord is going to appear and there's going to be a celebration but there's also going to the, part of the reason for the celebration is he says that heretofore uh, and in the future at the time it was writing that, we're, that the whole world was under the shroud of death. If you look at verse 7, it says that death has a covering over the earth. And it, it really says that the death has swallowed it up, enveloped the earth. You know, we have individual funeral shrouds, but this is a, one big funeral shroud that has encompassed the earth. Universally, men are going to die. Men, women, and children are going to die. We're under that envelope of, of death. The very next verse uses the same verb. It says, but the Lord has swallowed up death. And it's going to wipe away every, wipe the, the tears from every cheek. And so I call that the death of death. So we have in this text the contrast between either the death of death, where death is destroyed, or the second death. So that can be a, a way that we contrast the two resurrections. Are you going to be in the first resurrection and experience the death of death? Or are you going to be in the second resurrection, the great white throne judgment, which will be where you will experience the second death? 
And so, uh, being in the second death, or participating in the second death, of course, is a horrible thought. And I hope that none of us will be there. If we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have no uh, reason to fear that. But we need to fear that because of our friends and relatives and those who do not love the Lord. So that's a motivation. It should be a motivation for us to share the gospel message, the good news, and not keep it to ourselves. So, uh, as we think about the, the fate of the wicked, Revelation 20, verse 10, says there's eternal torment for Satan and his cohorts, false prophets. And Revelation 21, 8, says the burning torment and a lake of fire for the unbelieving wicked. But believers will experience just the opposite in the New Jerusalem. So we look at chapter 21 of Revelation. In the New Jerusalem, no longer be any death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Uh, verse uh, in 22.3, no more curse for sin, no more night. So there's no more death. There's, there's the death of death. There's no more night. There's no more fear. No more curse for sin. Sin has been paid for. Uh, you know, in 1 Corinthians 15 passage, it says that when the stinger is taken out of of death is because of the death, death of Christ. The irony, of course, is in Satan killed Christ, but that became the whole vehicle for uh, the death of death because the Lord over, overcame that. But it says that you know it's because of sin, and when He paid for our sin, it takes the the sting or stinger out of death. All right, so uh, there will continue to be a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. That's what the article says here in Article 17 at least. So we're dealing with 18 and 17 a little bit. Uh, it says that the distinction will occur both in and after death. So apparently that's speaking against universal salvation. Which the scripture certainly clearly does not teach that even after, you know, after death that the Lord will say, oh my bad, it's okay, everything's alright, everybody will, can be saved. It clearly says that the wicked will get their, their due in you know, both before and after, you know, at the time of judgment and, and, and thereafter. So what's the third note of caution or that we need to be aware of? Is, is that God the Father alone knew the, the time for Christ's return. He even mentions that again in Acts 1, 6, and 7. That the Father only knows that. So uh, about times and seasons. When Jesus referred to the, to the desecration of a temple, you know, abomination of desolation, we said a while ago, um, I already mentioned that that was partially fulfilled, we think, in the, in the intertestamental period, what we call Antiochus Epiphanes. He's the king of the north, one of those in, in Daniel 11. And uh, later on in AD 70, the Roman destruction, there was a destruction of Jerusalem in, the, in 135 AD as well. And uh, ultimately, though, it's going to be the desecration of Antichrist. I mentioned a while ago, Revelation 13 and 8. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4 which says the man of lawlessness will appear and then he will set himself up in, uh, in the seat in the very temple. And so that's, that is consistent hand in love with what we see in the book of Revelation about the, 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 the beast, you know, the two, the two beasts over there in the book of Revelation. One causes the other to be worshipped and one is killed and supposedly is uh, resurrected. The false pseudo-Christ. Alright, so... Uh, all these are a pattern. So this brings us to the, the, the third thing is that often uh, there's a repetition, a partial fulfillment with even successive fulfillments. So you can have uh, one part fulfilled, but not a, a, a... Later on you can have a 
a deeper or complete fulfillment. We see that in the abomination of desolation. Finally, uh, as we think about the, uh, the confessions of faith that we're looking at today and doctrinal statements and everything in the scriptures, we need to prayerfully study these items and, and, and realize that we do stand on shoulders of godly men who've studied it before. We're not the first to do that. So we appreciate what uh, the confessions have said and so forth. Uh, but also at the same time, we must study the scripture for ourselves. And it may be, especially in the doctrine of last things, may need to tweak some of the things or our understanding. So, uh, you know, in the, there's an addendum to the BMA doctrinal statement, two addendums. One says, we believe in the premillennial return of Christ to earth, after which he will reign in peace upon the earth for a thousand years. Uh, the second one says, we believe in two resurrections. And it explains what I said just a while ago about Revelation 20, that there's the first resurrection for believers and the second for unbe unbelievers. All right, so... Uh, and... Uh, I think there's very strong evidence for that because as once again it says five times in the first six verses a thousand years will separate the first and the second resurrection. Now we can debate uh, about uh, you know pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation all that kind of stuff but uh, we should avoid dogmatism because uh, we realize that there's a difference between doctrines like you know uh, virgin birth and inerrancy of scripture and things of that nature and then things about things about last things. There's a lot more de debate going on about the different viewpoints there. Now I do believe though that uh, we need to be alert of, of verses 42 to 44. Matthew 24 the last part that you read that, that uh, Philip read in Matthew 24 about being alert, being watch, watching waiting. So no matter your position or your understanding. We need to be alert and uh, aware that Christ could come back at any time. That's called the uh, imminent return of Christ. I think that uh, if we're if we're alert at all, doctrinally, that we'll believe that Christ could return at any time, just as the song was singing about. Alright, so uh, we need to reject, though, I think, the idea of, of, of the Christ has already returned at AD 70. I think that's a false teaching. Now, in the, in the, uh, in the future, as I, as I conclude here, uh, as I said, we can debate to some extent the, the tribu tribulation. And I'm, I'm Pan Mill. You heard that viewpoint before? It's going to pan out at the end. <laughs> God's got it under control. Yeah. Uh, I'm Pro Mill. But I don't know if about Pro Trib. How about that? <laughs> well, whether we're pro-trib or not, it's, we're going we're gonna to have a tribulation period, right? All right, so it's, it's wrong to set, to set dates, as we've already indicated, because the Word speaks against that. But we need to be prepared and humbly hold to some of these positions. You know, we may disagree on some of the details because we don't know. Uh, and we don't want to uh, bring shame to Christ. We can be dogmatic about issues that are not clearly taught in Scripture, and that can bring become a stumbling block you know I've been primarily raised up in a pre-trib uh, position and I converted to a post-trib position now I'm leaning more to the pre-trib position but I, I think we avoid I'm using an example avoid dogmatism because you know if you're wrong that brings egg on your face in thinking about you know other doctrines that are much more important about the plan of salvation and everything so uh, thank you for your, your, your attention today and uh,
uh, you're, you're dismissed.